Hello, Brad. Hello to you. Hello, Benny. <laughs> What's going on, you little Jew? <laughs> oh, I'm allowed to say that. Dude, you know, you, know, you know what I watched on the plane yesterday coming back from L.A. was... Um, Mel Brooks? American Pickle, I think it is. American Pickle? Something What's like that? that. Seth Rogen. Have you heard about that? Oh, I heard of this. I didn't see it's, it. It's very Jewy. It's very, very <laughs> Jewy. He's a pretty. What did I tell you about that Jewish accent? <laughs> You're not supposed to do it. Look, who says I was doing a Jewish accent? Right. You there. Th- listen, when you go very Jewy, <laughs> when you throw on a little Fran Drescher there, how many times do I have to tell you, Brad, you're not allowed to do that? That is exactly, exactly how Mrs. Kelly, the mom <laughs> of my best friend who is from Long Island, that's exactly uh, yeah. how she talked. Sure. Irish. Sure. Irish. Sure. Uh, you know what? That's an interesting contention you just made because the the, you know, typical made fun of Jewish accent is really like a New York accent. Yeah. 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 The common, the commonly known one, like that Fran Drescher style that people do, you can find, you know, Italian ladies who talk like that, Irish ladies who talk like that. You just got to be from like Queens or Long Island. You got to be on the other side of the river. That's all, man. Queens, Long Island, parts of Brooklyn. And then you move to Manhattan and it just goes away. (laughs) You have one overpriced latte, and all of a sudden that that Whoosh. accent just disappears. You start talking like a wasp. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> You're like, excuse me, do you have almond milk? <laughs> <laughs> That's what's next. Uh, we're already off track. Oh, good. How's good. this happen so early? Got to do it. So I thought of a funny story in regards to our guest, Jay. Okay. Now... I was, I'm sure it'll come up in the interview, but I was a super fan of his first band, Bound. X Bound X at the time. Even though I wasn't straight edge, I was still friends with them and they still accepted me as a, as a buddy. And I was literally like the, I was a huge fan of their band. They had a demo, they had a, maybe not the seven inch yet, and they were gaining some steam and I'm going to bring it up in the interview because it was such a unique place, but his drummer, Dana, had a house, normal suburban house out in Hillsborough. Um, but for whatever reason, like her parents were real chill and practice was at Dana's house. She started doing shows there, pool parties in the backyard, lots of food. It became this like meeting and gathering place a little bit for the local you know, skaters and hardcore kids like who were involved with the band Bound. So I think I'm about 14 and I tell my mom, oh, I'm going to Dana's house. She's having some pool party. I'm going to sleep there. We're going to have like a thing. And, you know, she knows the scene and she's like, cool, like no problem. So I go there and instead of having the pool party at Dana's house, we get in a van and we drive to the middle of Pennsylvania to Beaver College. I still don't know where the fuck it is. And go, I watch a show. I watch Bound play with a, I believe this uh, hardcore band from Maryland called Next Step Up, which, as you can imagine, <laughs> tough guy shit, you know? Right. And while I'm at this show, apparently, my mom pops in her head. She has a random question for me. She's not even trying to like catch me or anything. She just has a random inquiry that she thought to ask me 
So calls Dana's house, gets her mom. She's like, oh, can I talk to Ben? He's there. She's like, no, no, they're out in that show in Pennsylvania. And she's like, what? Motherfucker, you know? So, you know, in those days, it wasn't uncommon that I'd go to a show in Pennsylvania with a band. I was already kind of doing shit like that. But I did get caught in a semi-elaborate lie. Um, So my mom wasn't really much for punishment, but she felt like this was so over the top there had to be something, you know, like something in tow. Uh, so she decides to renege my tickets to go to the famous and revered city gardens in Ooh. Trenton two weeks later. Now, to see who? This is where I wish I could be honest, okay? And where memories are a funny place. I could have sworn it was to see all. Okay. And it was the show where the descendants reformed. But I looked that up before I told this story, and that might have predated this story by a year. Okay. So in my head, I think it was either Shelter or Rancid, Mm -hmm. but I can't say for absolute certainty. I have to get the date of the Beaver College show (laughs) to, to get this like completely in line. So, but what happens after that is like shortly after, City Gardens closed. Oh. And I literally lived like my entire young punk and hardcore career was lived in the shadow of City Gardens. Like everyone went, everyone who was like half a day older than me right. went to City Gardens, had a million stories about every band they saw there and this and this and that. And I did not get to go because I went to Beaver College in Pennsylvania with, with Jay's band Bound. And didn't tell mom. And didn't tell mom. You know, I didn't think I was going to get away with that one. I don't know why. I don't know why I came up with the elaborate scheme. I can't remember. I thought it was foolproof. And she probably called me to ask me some dumb shit like, oh, Benny, do you remember the name of the singer of, you know, this band from like 78 to 8? Like, those are usually the questions. Oh, really? you know? So that is the reason I never got to go to City Gardens. Did you ever go to City Gardens? Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine. I'm trying to think what I think... I can't remember specifically. I feel like we might have played there, but wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm, but I can't specifically think who it would have been with. I'd have to look it up mm. again. Like you, memory yeah, does not serve. Well, I wish you know. This is that funny thing. I uh, it's it's a phenomenon of of when people fill in the blanks of their memory. You know, <laughs> it is. It's, keep- it's so bizarre. Like. In my head, for 20 years, I've imagined this story as all. Yeah. And I, you know, there is no reason to think I was lying to myself. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, one quick reference and you go, oh, wait, why have I been lying to myself for 20 years? It didn't get me anywhere. I wasn't like, you know, using this lie to advance myself in the world or something. It's it's shocked me because things that like... Because I yeah generally have a fairly good memory. I I I feel like I either completely forget stuff or I remember it fairly well, pretty well. Right. But yeah, every now and then something like that happens where you can go back and actually specifically check the facts, and you're like, "Holy shit, I'm completely wrong." Right. <laughs> well, it's the Brian Williams phenomenon. What's you that? know like that he was that NBC anchor yeah. who you know, said he was on the helicopter in Iraq when it got shot down and he actually wasn't. But, you know, like if you really look into that case, like 
you know, this was a guy who's, it was like ego and bravado mixed with like 20 years of telling a story. And 20 years later, he thought he was in the helicopter. Right. right. It's kind of bizarre. And there, I know there is this phenomenon where like your brain, uh, you know, when your memory starts to get scattered, it fills in the blanks with things it assumes to be correct. Right. You know, like, like, oh, this would make sense. And then you fill that in and then it pieces it together. Uh, I remember this was a, a podcast episode, uh, Revisionist History, where they talked about uh, the 9-11 study where a group of psychologists interviewed a large, um, a large database of people immediately after 9-11. Right. And basically the three major questions, like where were you, who you were with, and like what your immediate memory of it is. And then they followed this study up for, I think, 10 plus years, where they asked the same people the same question year after year. And even though this is one of the biggest flashbulb memories of these people's lives, it changed. Uh, uh, statistically, the stories at least 50% of the time changed right. like, drastically, right, right. like as it went. And not because people were lying. They had right. no benefit in lying. You just, uh, you just start filling in the strange blanks. The brain is a mysterious place, Brad. Very. And that's why I thought I saw all back in 1994 <laughs> or whatever. And apparently I did that. But please don't blame me. Beaver College. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, let's listen to this. This, this went so off track. <laughs> let's, let's get into it. <laughs> Hi, Jay. What's up, Ben? How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yourself? I, I'm good. I didn't know you had an Instagram until like five minutes ago. Yeah. I see I we just use, followed I each other. I know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't use it that often. I don't post much. You know, I guess this is a testament to us being kind of old school fellas, you know, because yeah. I've known you since I was like, well, 14, something like that. And... And uh yeah, what's it been 20, 20 something years? Like yeah. half my life, I think I've Yeah, and it. and I like the fact that we just started following each other. We've done <laughs> a lot of things in the last like 6 months without even knowing we had Instagram. So I like that. <laughs> Old school, you know? Yeah. 
It'll be nice when I pop up in your feed every six months. <laughs> every six months, yeah. <laughs> so, Jay, what did you do today? I worked. I worked. Uh, I sat at my desk where I'm currently sitting still. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I worked all day. Sorry, we helped you get no movement today. So were you a uh, totally remote pre-pandemic or this is the pandemic thing? This was, well, I was, um, I, I started a new company in 2020. Mm-hmm. Technically, my old company merged with another production company. Okay. So, but I was on, I was on uh, paternity leave. Mm. So I got back. I got back in February of 2020, and I was there for three oh. weeks, and then, uh, then I went home, right. and I never went back. I never went. Yeah, was it is in the city? Yeah, yep. Hell's Kitchen. Oh wow. Yeah. So you had three weeks of commuting to Hell's Kitchen, and then stayed home for the rest of the time. Yeah, but it was nice because I've been commuting there for 11 years. So right, it's uh, it was a nice break, but I'm ready to go back, and I think we go back in a month. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. How do not you feel about time, that? Not full time, okay. Which is awesome. Hybrid schedule. Yeah, yeah. Fifty fifty. You know, they want us there like ten days a month. Um, okay. I I look forward to it. I look forward to seeing my coworkers again, like in nice. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any like, uh, you know, like did this last couple of years give you any kinds of reservations like you didn't previously had, or you're just ready to go into it like full head of steam? I'm ready to go back. Um, yeah. it, I, I found that in, in my line of work that working remotely, the boundaries just kind of got got bigger and bigger. Huh. Like in the beginning, people tried to respect your your time. You know, when you're uh, when you're when you leave an office at seven o'clock, you're done. Right. You know, they can't get you. Sure. But when you're home, and you, they got you connected to your yeah. your work computer. They're texting you at ten at ten PM, like, "Hey, can you do me a favor?" Right. You know. Yeah, that's interesting. And I usually so, say no. <laughs> right. No, it's <laughs> ten o'clock, asshole. <laughs> yeah. I'm watching that's, my stories. Leave me alone. <laughs> I. That's interesting. I actually heard that there's a a law just got passed in France, I think, where an employer is not allowed to like contact you at home anymore, or like something like that to to. Mm. I guess get in front of the, what they're expecting in in uh you know in remote work that, yeah. that I guess what you're saying these boundaries start to get blurred that's really interesting. Yeah and we'll, and we'll we'll see what it's like you know when I end up when I do leave the office to go home I still have a line into my into the office that, who knows I, I still yeah. might be getting texts to say hey can you do this <laughs> when you get home? Right right right. We'll see. So, um, I, I mean, you know, we'll see. Everybody's dealing with it with something, right? Yeah. So how did you like uh, what, when this stuff, you know, first hit and you started going remote and you have, you know, one medium sized child and a very small one. Um, how did you start to like refocus your your days to not only still work and be happy, but also like carve out that creative time? Um, I never really, I, I, I struggled greatly with that Hmm. and I never really nailed it down, you know? Okay. Um, it just so happened where like, you're talking like creative, creative time to, for my work or for music. 
I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, with your work, I, it you know it ties in because you have yeah. to be creative for work. But yeah, I guess specifically for this music. Yeah, because I was finishing the the record um, in 2020. Oh um, right, yeah. So that was just. I I had gone to to the me and Will had recorded the music for the new former member record in November of 2019 because we were expecting oh. our second child. Right. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to take a, an extended period of time off to go to Philly and record. Sure. So yeah, I yeah. said, okay, I, we'll do the music there. I'll do the vocals at home. Cool. Right. N- now that you know everybody's home, it's like I can't yell with an infant in the house because I scare them. <laughs> Right. I, I can't I can't yell with my, you know, five or six year old in the house because uh, he'll bother me and he'll want to jump in and yeah. make noise. Um or harmonize. You don't know. Or harmonize. Yeah. Maybe I missed an opportunity there. <laughs> yeah. You never yeah. know. Um and then, you know, it's just like work, you know, work kind of takes over and you kind of lose momentum. And then I got into a funk where I didn't do anything for months. Yeah. Um, and I just had to kind of find that spark again. And so it it just so happened where I just I I told my wife I where I asked my asked my wife because yes. um, my my um, in laws live down the street oh. I said can can you please maybe like once a weekend take them there for two hours oh. so I can kind of plow through this stuff that I got to sure. get through yeah, yeah and we we got on a really good kind of schedule there and by the end of the year I I had knocked everything out wow. so yeah it worked out that way such a change of adulthood right it's like yeah you know the ways you have to fuel your creativity when you're young and then yep. it's like well i better be creative in this 120 minute period on saturday or else exactly exactly not like there, music. there would be there would be mornings where you know i would drop uh my oldest wyatt off at kindergarten and you know then my wife would take the baby for a walk. I would get like 20 minutes. I would quickly like plug in everything, wow. throw up the pro tools, maybe get a verse verse or some harmonies or some like other stuff done mm. in that 20 minutes and then just quick save and then not get back to it for another couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's so tough to get your head in and out of that. It's, yeah. It's crazy. Now, it's, it's interesting. I didn't even, you know, think till you mentioned it, but you know, you're in such a creative field and you know, does, do those aspects of creativity for you have to come from like separate places or do they come from the same place? Um, I think, I think they come from the same place. Hmm. I think that my, my, my job is very rhythmic. Yeah. Um, Right. I'm, I'm a, I work in post-production. I'm a motion graphic artist. I do editing. Like what, what's called is it's called these days, they call it hybrid editing where okay. I can bounce back and forth from an, an edit suite to add. So like after effects or cinema 4d and it's all time. It's all oh, hitting right. things at certain times and feeling huh. out when something needs to change direction. Um, so it's, I think they're very in tune. Huh, the only, the only, the only big difference is I'm, I'm with my work. I'm being directed. Right. You know, I'm there to execute somebody else's idea. Right. Um, right. Whereas when I'm musically, I'm just executing my own ideas, you know? Sure. Do you ever feel like, is there ever a a creative direction that like you feel opposed to that you're like, yeah, all the time. Yeah. 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 But, but I, I always like my, my kind of 
MO is to always over deliver is I give them the option I think might work. Oh, you know, and then I'll I'll give them the one that, that they wanted. And then I'll give them a couple other options. And oftentimes it works. Like we, that's how, you know, you collaborate because sometimes they don't know how things are going to move. And you only have, sometimes in a commercial, you have 30 seconds to tell a story. Right. You know, you can't, you can't go crazy for 30 seconds and like read a, you know, read a sentence, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I remember a Patton Oswalt joke, I think on his last stand up where he talks about, you know, uh, men like, like shooting film and shooting like hundreds of hours of film and, and the actual like creative genius is the people who actually like cut it up and make a story out of it. Yep. Like, do you think there's some truth to that? Of course. Yeah. And there's a discipline to that too, because I, I've, I mean, I was lucky enough to be able to cut film. Right. And like when oh, I yeah. was in, cause I went to film school and I went at the very tail end of, of cutting film there at mm. UArts in Philly. Cause then everything went digital, right. but like you have, you have to, you, you have to keep track of where you're putting those little snippets of film yeah. that <laughs> you're cutting out. Because you got to right. put them back in if you need them. It's such a physical way to work. That- yeah, same with audio. Like you have an audio track and you have a, a film, a piece of film, and they have to sync up. Mm. So you have to you have to really be disciplined with where you're putting those takes, where you're putting those hooks. Um, yeah, so it is. It's it's a lot of time and a lot of patience. And I feel like in the same as music one of the most difficult things to learn that seems to come with experience is like letting things you love go. Like, yes. does it, do you see that being a challenge for like people who are making these things? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's at the end of the day, sometimes you just want to be done with it. You know, Right. you, you right. kind of just like, there's, so, I mean, especially like in advertising, there are so many chefs in the kitchen Mm. that by the time it gets to the top level, it just gets whittled down from there. And then you're just a button. Then you're just a button pusher for a little bit, you know? Sure. Sometimes you can be the problem solver, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's just, let's just get it done and out the door, you know? You're still working inside of that construct. Exactly. Yeah. Do you ever see like music visually? No. Huh. It's all, it's all, it's all gut to me. Interesting. Yeah. Do you? Sometimes a little. Yeah, yeah. I do. Like, but I think in the context of film, you know, like that, that's okay. I think I've just been in such a big movie fan for years uh-huh. that certain types of music in certain moments remind me of like a poignant part in a film or okay. a, yeah. a Sorry. part that yeah. could be, you know, so like yep. I'll write a part in a song and I'm like, yo, that's the John Cusack holding up the boombox part <laughs> or that's the John Cusack walking through the rain part. Yeah. I, it, I guess it's all John Cusack. I've, <laughs> I've, I've never, <laughs> I've never had um, that happen with anything that I, that I've written uh-huh. um, for a movie per se, but I did at one point, I, I, I the first song on um, uh, the last none more black album icons. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be the perfect song for a closer in baseball to come out to. Ah. <laughs> yes. Like I just, it, it has that nice kind of like, yeah. The, the, it just guitar starts and the drums and the drop D comes in. You're like funk and or Sandman. You know, this like is the one. Yeah. You know, 
Charlie Sheen's coming out of the bullpen. <laughs> right. So this was your wild thing is the yeah. last song at Icons. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But as far as like, um, you know, I don't like see music in color or something like that. Like not that specific. I think the thing I found the most with films is that I guess I'm really connected to the emotional like climaxes of movies and stuff. So some mm-hmm. of my favorite songs ever are just directly related to like some of my favorite parts in movies, you know? Right. And are you, you're, you're referring to like source music or actual score mm-hmm. or both? Yeah. Usually actual score, but yeah, even like something like there, like there will be blood or something. I can't hear creepy stuff like that and not think of, you know, Daniel Day Lewis out in the desert, like the way he put together that movie. It's, it's, it's funny. You mentioned there will be blood. Because when I saw that movie in the theater, I left and I remember making a note, there was no music in that movie. Uh, right. And then I saw it again and I was like, what was I thinking? It's all over the place, yeah. but it's just, it's just like a drone, you know? It's not that musical. Exactly. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't build. It's just kind of like, sort of how like Spike Lee movies, they just kind of have oh, this yeah. bed. Like huh. Spike Lee movies, if you listen, they're almost wall to wall music. Oh, underneath yeah. there's very little silence huh. sometimes i wish there would be silence because it would you know it helps build <laughs> it helps build scenes and drama yeah right huh that's interesting and i heard isn't in uh, uh there will be blood wasn't he denied the uh oscar or grammy or whatever because some of the samples he used on a previous album, like a Radiohead album or something. Yeah, I think I think uh, Johnny Greenwood had done like a, a, I think he did a solo album that he that he used material. He took material from and put those themes into "There Will Be Blood." That's a bullshit rule. Well, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of films, I heard a funny story from an old friend about. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, this isn't a good mystery, friend. So uh, I, t- I spoke to Dave Haas. Okay. And he told me a story <laughs> about doing the uh, Time Will Tell video. Oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> him being covered in blood yeah. when your wife came home and not knowing what was going on. What, what happened there? Um, <laughs> well, um, God, which apartment was that? I don't think we were living together at the time. We were dating. Okay. And uh, I'm not a neat freak. You know, I, you know, I don't cry over spilled milk. Every, mm-hmm. Everything, you know, can get cleaned up. <laughs> and, um, you know, Dave asked, came up with the idea of, hey, let's do the, the you know, uh, Scorsese's The Shave. Let's do it, uh, oh, right. you know, an homage to it. Mm-hmm. So I bought, I went, I went to like this Halloween store that used to be um, down the street. Um, in, I think it was in South Plainfield or something like that. It's closed now, but I bought a huge like bucket of fake blood (laughs) and we were just like take after take, just squeezing it against his (laughs) chest and his throat and dripping it down his body. Being very generous. All over the video. (laughs) It's, It's just all over my bathroom. And then she walks in the door, like right when we're done. And I was like, "Don't worry, we're gonna, we're gonna clean it up. Don't go in the bathroom." <laughs> was was there any part of you that felt like like you needed an alibi or something? Like no, because I mean, Dave was just there, bloody, you know, yeah, and so, laughing, and the right. camera was there, so it's like, yeah, yeah. okay, I'm making art. 
been checked out. <laughs> so he was your uh, t-shirt salesman, right? On Kid Dynamite tours? Yeah, he was lots of things. He yeah. was a uh, friend, t-shirt salesman, <laughs> uh, comic relief. Yeah, always. You know, always the, the, the shoulder to cry on, you know, all that yeah, stuff. He's good like that. He said that you, him, and Spider were like the youngsters and Yemen and wagon shoots were like the old men and you gave him a real hard time. He gave him a hard time. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I got behind him, but. Right, right. I'll just say he gave him the hard time. You didn't start it. Well, I want to backtrack a little bit because even though I knew you, way back in the day. I didn't know the beginning, you know, like uh, since we didn't grow up in the same town and stuff like that. And so, you know, I know you're a hundred and county, uh, you know, kid. And when did you actually like discover skating and punk and like what, what avenue led you to that where you were from? Um, well, skating was never really a part of my life. I, I, I owned a skateboard because of Back to the Future, <laughs> and and I never like could do a trick on one. I, I right, you know, it it was in and out of my life. Um, however, s- skate culture did in fact play a big part. Sure, in in blending heavy metal with hardcore and punk because mm-hmm. I, I I was a metalhead. Um, okay, in high school. Um, I was in a band. I, I I didn't start this band. My my friends had a had a band, and they needed a bass player, and I didn't know how to play bass. Um, <laughs> but they had a bass, and I was like, "I'll do it. It's four strings. It's you know sure. how hard could it be?" Yeah. And I basically just played everything they played, uh-huh. um, and I got by. And um, we what was had the name of this band, uh, Nation of Hate. Ooh. Nice. Which then ter- which then turned into a band called Disrespect. Okay. Uh, where, right. where, like bands fell apart, and then we yeah. we joined up with another band from our high school. But we had a really interesting thing in our high school was that your junior and senior year, we had a communications building with oh. our own with our own radio station and our own TV station. Oh wow! And part of your assignments is you had a weekly radio show. Junior year you took. Or, or sophomore year. For me, it just happened to be junior and senior. Junior year, you took radio and you had a weekly radio show and you could oh, play shit. whatever you wanted. Huh. Whatever you wanted. Yeah. And a lot of like kids who just liked aggressive music gravitated towards this, this class. Interesting. So we met, you know, that's, I mean, we were tight. Our school wasn't that big. We had 400 kids in our, in our graduating class. And for the most part, everyone got along. Um, even like jocks, you know, all, all those clicks and the cliches didn't really happen at my school. Huh. Um, but the skaters and us, we, we, we hung out a lot and they started to introduce, introduce us to bands like earth crisis. And, you know, we were all like sick of bands, like sick of it all and girl biscuits were our common ground, maybe biohazard. Um, but then, you know, we, they started to introduce us to bands like inside out youth of today, um, and then it kind of grew from there. Okay. And that's, that's when I really kind of, kind of really fell in love with things, like starting to go to shows and seeing how different it was than going to a concert, you know, cause right. they're two different, two different things. Sure, go, sure. Going to city gardens and like, you know, seeing the bands you just saw on stage, walking amongst the kids in the crowd, handing out zines and free stickers and whatnot. 
really kind of had a had a big effect on me. Hmm. How so? Just like the uh, the, the intimacy. idea that like you're you're so hands on and you can do it yourself, or just just the intimacy of it. You know yeah. how it's everything was was you could just go talk to somebody who was in a band and they would talk, they would, they would treat you like a normal person, you know, right? like, and, and and ask you questions about yourself. And it just, it just, you know, then you become part of something that, 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 you know, you become part of a little group of people that then becomes part of another group of people. And that's how we got, that's how we cross paths. You know, I mean, I, I I knew Nick from high school, Uh uh, Nick Remondelli. Um, and you know, once my bands from high school fizzled out, I knew, you know, I took a year off between high school and and film school, and I just said, Nick, do you want to start a band? And that's when we started Bound, and that's huh. when our our kind of worlds or worlds collided at that point. That's right, and that's when my world collided with you as well. Yeah. Um, so, what was your like? What was your parents' relationship like with music? Were they like happy you were getting into stuff like this? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, it's my older brother was was in a band. He played guitar, took guitar lessons. He's three and a half, four years older than me. Okay. They supported. They were in full support of him playing guitar. They let his band practice in in their basement. Um, but when I started doing it, it was, it was like you know my grades. They were. I was grounded a lot because my grades were slipping, okay. so I wasn't allowed to go play shows. Or, I mean, not that we played a lot of shows in high school anyway. Right. Uh, we we would play like one show a year at Obsessions, <laughs> and that would be kind of it. I know it well. So, how right. many tickets did you sell? Oh, we we sold our quota. We would just go out front. <laughs> and what did he the, give? Like ten cents a ticket or something? I, sh- that, that I don't sketch know. Ball? <laughs> it was like yeah. And that was the one thing that Nick said when we started Bound. He's like, we're never paying to play. You know, yeah. we're never doing that. Dude, that guy used to hit on my mom and her friends. <laughs> remember his fanny like, pack? Yeah. He used to and walk then around he, with that fanny pack. And remember he had the necklace that yep. said obsessions mm-hmm. in like semi-cursive. It's the worst. But that place had some like legit shows yeah. come through. And you wanted, you wanted to like get yourself on his radar so that maybe you could play. And with, you could get you your know. name in the East Coast Rocker. Right, exactly. Or the yeah. Aquarian. Yeah, or the Aquarium. Yeah. And somehow um, they always used to score those metal blade bands, right? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, that was, that was, I think they had like that Monsters of Rock went through there. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, what what was I, I So I, we were I talking about your, your parents' relationship oh, yeah. with what so, you were doing. Um I think that you know, besides the whole thrash thing that I was doing in high school. Yeah. Um like my mom wouldn't like I, I was also playing sports and like kind of sports was fading away. My mother w- like wouldn't let me buy Metallica records or or Guns N' Roses records because she thought they were obscene. Okay. But yet my brother had all all the cassettes already. Oh, she was trying to save save your soul still. I, yeah, so I just it, was it from a religious place or? No, no, not at all. Huh. I just I just I just took them from my brother. Um right. right. But for me, it was like, I think she really didn't understand what hardcore and the and straight edge was mm. because I really got into veganism and straight edge. Right. And she just did not understand. N- nobody in my family understood it mm. um, as, as it was probably very common back in those days. You know, yeah. this, we're talking 95. Um, 
1995. And uh, so like I remember one time having an XXX leaving the house and she just started screaming at me. Are you in a gang? Is that a gang? And I was like, no. I was like, if you knew what this was, you'd be thrilled. You would be yeah. absolutely thrilled. I'm going out with all my friends to watch porn. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, what do you think this means? <laughs> yeah, it's so strange that how how could a parent have like there was there was brushback to being like, yeah, I'm not going to do drugs and drink. Yeah, you know, but like, it's also, I mean, on the other hand, it's like okay. I'm wearing this super baggy sweatshirt. My head's shaved. It's bleached. <laughs> I have e- I have earrings and I have a super tight Krishna necklace on. Like, how could you not be a little bit concerned? You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and you're you're in Hunterdon County in the early '90s. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't come from a household that asked a lot of questions. You know, you were I just see. judged. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so just saw the appearance and was like, nah, not for me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I assume you you met up with Dave uh, via Instinct. Did you play with Instinct and then put the band together, Underwood and Dana? Well, I think what it was was Nick and I, Nick and I uh, decided to, to start a band, and I think Dana was working at Gorney's at the time, oh my or God. had used to work or used to work at Gorney's yeah. music store, uh huh, in Somerville. Yeah. And he Nick had, Nick had used to used to work there. No shit. If I, I'm. I think I'm remembering that correctly. That's amazing. Um. So he had a mutual. They had a mutual friend, and he got her number, and he called her up, and he was just like, um, "Would you be interested in maybe like, you know, playing in this band with us?" We hadn't. We hadn't heard. We didn't even know if she was any good. <laughs> right. Um. And she invited us over to the house, and we kind of talked about what we wanted to do. And I think she knew Dave. She just yeah, said, "I know. I, I know. A, I know a bass player." And yeah. And it just worked out. You know, we got together and we just started writing songs and it just all clicked. It's awesome. It, you know, it's, uh, I was listening to some, some bound going up to this interview and I was joking with my wife because Silver Lining came on and I seriously, I almost started thrashing my office. I haven't heard that <laughs> song in forever. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I got like real worked up again. Um, but I actually, we had already recorded the intro to this and I had sort of given a, you know, a brief description of Dana's house at the time because it was sort of a, you know, a, kind of an interesting meeting point for everyone at that time. Like, um, it was, I mean, you want to talk about supportive parents. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was open door policy. Literally. That's I right. Could, I could walk, like I could walk in that house at any time of night if I wanted to. Yeah, and they just didn't care, right? Yep, I could go into the refrigerator and then maybe somebody would come down and be like, oh, hey, Jay, you know? Yeah, so what was, did they ever have like a like a manifesto to that house, like a vision to it, or were they just like, I mean, I remember Dana's parents and particular mom just being so sweet and so cool, yeah. but mm-hmm. like, did they have like a mission for that house? No, not, no, not too much, no. They were just that rad. Not that it was ever communicated to me. Or yeah. any anybody else like in, who was walking in and out of that, that door. Yeah. I mean, you've been there probably just as much as I have. <laughs> Maybe not just as much, but a bunch. But I mean, I mean, the pool was like a big deal too. Like it they was. had a pool in the summer. You know, it was it was great. And it was like this kind of safe place. Like you're talking about. It's not like it was just like a few local kids. Like I would show up at this house and there would be like, oh, there's abnegation in the pool. 
yeah. you know, and like yeah. there's this this hardcore straight edge <laughs> vegan band like cooking tofu steaks or something. Like, what's going yeah. on right now? And this is for context. This is in the middle of like very suburban, normal Hillsboro neighborhood. Like, not yeah. And yeah. and her father was a musician. If oh, I don't know if you remember. Right. He played in a, a cover band and they, they would play weddings and stuff. So he was really super interested in, in what everybody was doing. Right. The bands that came through, what they were, how they were playing. He was very kind of listening with a keen ear, you know? Hmm. And I think they really like just enjoyed it themselves. Yeah. I mean, you guys are good <laughs> for the time. Uh, we tried. Sure. It's such a cool place. I have such uh, wonderful memories of just hanging out there. And like, even now as a parent, I think about that house and kind of the idea that it was like, like you said, just this, you know, island of misfit toys kind of safe place. Uh-huh. And I hope to kind of provide that sort of, you know, like, yeah, like I would love, w- you think you'll open up your house if one of your kids gets into it like this? Uh, my house isn't that big, but you know, <laughs> Sure. If we finished the time. basement, they could do, yeah. Got plenty of time. time. But it was also, time. I mean, and then remember like they had started to let, let us do shows there. We had like one or two, maybe three shows at that house. Yes. In the basement. And Shades Apart yeah. uh, played there. That's right. And on it was, the, I have one great video of Dilemma playing and it's at Dana's house. And I remember specifically because it was the first time a bunch of people freaked out to my band. And it was like the first time people were like singing along and going crazy a little. And like people were dancing and it was all our friends. I mean, it was basically like Underwood and Jameel, you know, special moment though, nonetheless doing the main things. But yeah, I mean, that house really had a, a a special, special impact for me. Um, I mean, I, I think that bound was very similar. I mean, the kids that were that were into us and up front singing along were all of our friends. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I was just joking my wife. I was like, listen, when Bound would play, it was like me and eight other people we knew in New Jersey anyway, you know, like yeah. basically following Jay and the mic around, you know, like we we're basically right. just piling on top of you the whole time. Um But then when you take though. You take us out of the tri-state area, not even tri-state, take us out of New Jersey, <laughs> yeah. totally different story. Well, I told the story in the intro of me going with you guys to a show at Beaver College in Pennsylvania. H2O? Or Next Step Up, I remembered for some reason. Okay. That hardcore band. Okay. Was it and Fury of Five as well? Maybe, yeah. Kind of okay. sounds familiar. I and I got in twice. trouble for going to that show with you guys. And and got punished and missed my chance to ever go to City Gardens. Because oh, of you, Jay. <laughs> sorry. It's bullshit. It was a good show. It's fun. How'd we get there? Did we take two cars? You know what? I can't fucking remember for the life of me. I was just thinking that. I was like, Were you, you not allowed a... to drive with us or you just weren't allowed to go to Philly? Uh I wasn't no, that was the strange thing. Is that you know, I told my mom. Because I had already stayed at Dana's house a couple times, you know, one of the pool parties where we're yeah. just hanging out and crashed there. So that's what I had told my mom. You know, I was like, oh, I'm just going to a pool party there. She called to ask me a question and found out that we weren't there. Like Dana's mom answered and was like, no, no, they're, they're out at a show in Pennsylvania or something. 
and I got punished and then missed my city garden show and city gardens closed. So I never got to go. And I I bet Dana's mom knew who was on the bill. Oh, they're playing with the Fury of the Five. Yeah, the next out, next step up. Yeah, they're out in Pennsylvania with Fury of V. Yeah. yeah, they should be home around three. Yeah. Not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Yeah, that shit was funny, man. But great band. Bound is a very important band to me in my uh in my coming up. Ah, thank you, Benny. You know, speaking of Hundred and County, which is a funny little interjection here, was I I was like, you know, it'd be fun. I'm going to come up with the five most notable people from Hunterdon County, like a list that we could discuss. Mm. And I'm sorry to say there's not even five. (laughs) I even found a list and I'm like, oh, okay. Merv Griffin, a couple people. And then they weren't actually from Hunterdon County. There was only one. Tucker Rule. (laughs) (laughs) Or was he in front? Was he he not living in Hunterdon County? I think White House might be Somerset still. Okay. Okay. But it's Vera Farminga. Oh, yeah. She was in my brother's class. Oh, she was? Yeah. She went to Hunterdon. How is that? She's an actress. I knew her from that Clooney film, Up in the Air. Oh, yeah. She was in Bates Motel. Conjuring. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But she was the only one. But. Basically, what I'm getting at here, Jay, is I think, I think you're the second most famous person from Hunter. That's pretty County. cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, there's, I, there's also um, uh, Brenda Wiley, I believe her name was. She was, murdered her her uh, brother and mother um, while we were in high school. But again, oh, wow. she might not have been in Hunter County, so I, I'm, I might still be holding number two strong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we'll discuss uh, off air the the Flemington Pancake House murders, <laughs> another hundred another hundred and county fun affair. So, so let's jump ahead a little because you know you then somehow for kids like us, like there is a big difference between like Bound and Lifetime. Lifetime were like our they were like the big band, you know, the one we were all trying to be, and. You know, you have this kind of like legendary tryout now with Lifetime. Um, it's sort of talked about almost like mythically at this point <laughs> that you had this like tryout with the guys from Lifetime and started Kid Dynamite. Like, do you remember the actual instance of h- how and when that came together? Yeah, totally. Um, it was okay. So I was living in Philly. Yeah. Bound was still together. Uh, at that point, Jay LaGreca was, had replaced Nick, oh, yeah. um, uh-huh. inbound. Um, so I was in, I, th- it must've been my junior year in college or sophomore year, mm-hmm. maybe junior, junior year, we'll say. Um, and my friend James had, had called me up. Uh, we were roommates freshman year and I actually sadly just found out he passed away unexpectedly. Yeah. Uh, a month ago. Yeah. I actually um, knew that as well. Yeah. So that kind of, that's kind of rough. Yeah. Um, and now to, to think about it now, it's even a little difficult, but, um, he said, Hey, I'm, I'm trying out for this band. It's a dudes from lifetime. They've been looking, looking at singers and he said, can I, can I come over and like run some ideas by you? No let shit. me know what you think. Wow. He's like, cause, cause he knows He's like, you're good. You know, you've been singing for so long. Like, he's like, I can't get my phrasing right. You know, stuff like that. So he came over with the tape of like six songs. It was just, it was just the music that they went to the studio and recorded, which was a brilliant idea, right? Like, yeah, 
just oh, go yes. and, and record the music if you're, and then give it out to a bunch of people who want to try out. Yeah, pretty smart. Because it, it makes it easier to want to write vocals to, right? Mm. Rather than sure. hearing some shitty boombox recording from a, from a uh, practice space. Yeah. Anyway, so he comes over and, you know, I help him out and we kind of like shoot the shit. And while we're shooting the shit, I'm copying the tape. So <laughs> right. I took my dub, you know, threw it on a, in a pile of tapes. And then uh, he went and did his tryout. And he said, um, you know, weeks go by. I asked him how it went. And he said, oh, you know, I got there. It was in Dave's living room. He's, he said, I, I, I sat on the couch and I sang through like a bass amp. And that was sort of it. And then I, my my response was, "Why on earth would you sit on the couch and try out for a hardcore band? Like, there's no fucking way you're getting that, you know? Like, why? What what were you thinking? Yeah. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So then like months, a few months go by and LaGreca quit Bound. 
Yeah. Dana said, screw it. I'm moving to Boston. Oh, right. Like um, she went to school. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, fuck it. I, I called Dan and I, uh, first I called James. I asked if I got his blessing. I said, okay. Hey man, do you mind if I, if I give this a shot? Yeah. And, uh, he said, go for it. And, um, so I started trying out, uh, or Yeman was like, Oh, do you have the tape? I said, I have a copy actually. So he said, okay, well, we'll, we'll figure something out. Now at the same time, here comes Nick is back in the picture. Nick was going to temple living, uh, with this dude or living in, I think he was in West Philly. Um, and he was playing in a band with this dude, Matt Cleary. Matt Cleary used to be in Ink and Dagger. Hmm. Great songwriter, great Mm -hmm. singer. They needed a bass player. So I was playing bass for them. They practiced right off South street. They, we had a band named the break in mile. We had a bunch of songs we were really into Hmm. while I'm trying out for kid dynamite. So my first, my first tryout, I go there. Um, and they had just gone to look at a practice space with, uh, do you know, Jim winners? Mm, I don't think so. He's, he was, um, he was in conviction and then later he joined turmoil. Okay. Tur- yeah. We 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 ended up sharing a practice space, a monthly space with Turmoil. So Love they Turmoil. went to go. They went to go look at it. I'm waiting outside Dave's apartment. They come. Jim Winters is very soft spoken. He's like, "Hey, mind if I stick around?" So it's it's fine. You know, he's st- we kind of knew each other a little bit from Bound and Turmoil, kind of playing shows together. And um, so I I I worked really hard for a few weeks on writing all the lyrics. I would scream into a pillow in my apartment so I, so I wouldn't like freak anybody out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I went in with everything memorized, and like I knew, I knew immediately that I had it. Like I just knew. Oh, really? It's not, and it's not one of those things. It was magic. I knew. I was so prepared. I was huh. so confident that I just, I just knew. I, I knew I had it. Huh. And uh, then I didn't hear anything from her. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, were you really like whatever or were you like pretty bummed out? Well, like I said, I was doing this other thing with Nick and, oh, okay, right. and it was, we, we were like, this was, this could be really fun, you know? Sure. And, and in fact, like, you know, Yemen, I ran into Yemen at, uh, I think it was a, either burn or Avail played the Y in Philly. Okay. And I went and I, I bumped into him in the balcony and, and, you know, one thing about Yemen is he's always super busy and he's not always the quickest to respond. So <laughs> right. that's probably why it took them three years to find a singer, you know, or <laughs> right. however long it took. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, I've been meaning to get in, t- in touch with you. Uh, do you want to come back for another tryout? Oh. And I said, sure. Yeah, absolutely. He's like, let me give you a call. We'll figure it out. And then I, he called me up and I was like, you know, I got to tell you, I'm kind of doing this other band. I, I, I you know, I'm not sure what I want. I'm kind of teetering on which one I want to do. And he said, look, don't waste my time. He's like, uh-huh. do you want to do it or not? And that, and at that moment I said, yes. Okay. So <laughs> that's, and that was just to go to the second tryout, not to like, you know, I didn't get, yeah. I didn't, I didn't have it at that point yet. So, so he was went, already like, come on, don't fuck around kid. Like, yeah. And he was pissed. Like he, yeah, he like right. yelled at me. He's like, dude, yeah. come on. Um, that guy doesn't, he doesn't suffer fools lately. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then I went maybe like once, once or one or two more times. And then, uh, they put me in the studio to record against the, a couple songs that were eventually ended up being the demo. And I, I, th- I think I didn't 
technically get it till they heard me on tape. Oh, wow. Um, and then I was just in. And then it was just full speed ahead. So that was that was like much more... That wasn't like some some quick serendipitous experience. That was like kind of filled with variable, huh? Like, yeah, and and I think that they took it very seriously. Like they just weren't going to have somebody come down once. Yeah, and and to be and at the and not a lot of people know this, but it was a four piece. Then they had mm. they had a second guitar player. Oh, I didn't. Who know I that. never met. Like oh, my really? first my first tryout, his amp was there. Like he had just kind of like started oh, to flake. That's like some weird fifth Beatle thing. I yeah, didn't know about exactly. It. Yeah. And I'm, like I'm. You know, the the band could have been completely different without, you know, with a second guitar player. You know, who knows? Yeah, it's it's such a cool set of circumstances, and and uh, send love out to to James and his family. And yeah, I, I didn't realize he had such a major connection in in uh, you being in Kid Dynamite. That's really a yeah, and even full he, circle. Wow. He was he was my uh, roommate freshman year. We a group of us from Hundred and Central. Went to U Arts together and got a, BJ got a house. BJ as well, right? BJ went to no. BJ went to Tish. I thought. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, he was in New York. Um, I, I could be wrong with the school, but I think you're right. Um, but yeah, those guys were all kind of instrumental in introducing us to all sorts of bands. Yeah, we went I was to just a lot telling Jamil that when before we were saying, I was like, you know what? When I think of like James and BJ. I'm like, those were just like the coolest skate dudes. Like there were, yep. they just yeah. look cool. I'm like, they acted and dressed like how I thought skaters should, you know? Yeah. They were just right. cool. Like tastemakers kind of, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and like, I remember like every, every New Year's Eve, we'd hop in my car and drive overnight to Syracuse to catch the matinee. Uh, we would just hang out in the parking lot at Lost Horizon and, yeah. you know? You know my old Nissan Pulsar. Like it's not that big. We would just put the seats down and like lay down, and four of us would just kind of like love every minute of it. You know, it's awesome, man. Because you have that energy. Well, I'll include. Uh, I was just finding the link from Jamil for uh, a fun for for James's son. So I'll I'll include that in uh, in the podcast link and try to send some love that way. Yeah, but, that's great. So crazy story now. What's interesting is like, you know, coming from Bound and your bands before that, you know, obviously there was some singing in Bound and you were starting to move in that direction. But, you know, I think you like kind of famously had like this really like unique and cool delivery in Kid Dynamite that was immediately like appealing to people. And like, do you remember how you kind of came up with that sound for Kid Dynamite? Like how you... um sort of came up with that like melodic screaming sort of that you were doing for that band? Well, I, you know, I think it was a mix of, of the two, like, like there was a dichotomy in the, in the vocals for, for bound. I was either screaming or right. I was singing poorly, you know, like, <laughs> like singing at a register that I shouldn't have been singing at. So I, my voice, I don't think had a good quality to it. Well, in the but- mid nineties, it was really good. Remember, the, the, <laughs> and it was the, acceptable. Yeah, the barometer was pretty low for singing in those days. <laughs> so, I think it was just a matter of f- kind of like taking those two those two highs and lows and pushing them together. Mm. Because I knew, I knew, like, there's a lot of Kid Dynamite that's just screaming, you know. Right. Sure. But when it's melodic, I just kind of turn the knob a little bit on my throat, and I could still hit those notes. Mm. 
And it was also like, Yemen just made me like a mixtape of, of stuff that he like, you know, seven seconds, you know, stuff that was very melodic, but I didn't have that smooth voice. Like, do you my remember voice what was, bands were on that mix? God, I mean, I'm sure it was uh, Squirrel Bait. I'm sure it was um, Dag Nasty. Maybe I don't. Uh, who knows? <laughs> I, I, I just I I, vague, I do remember Seven Seconds being on it for sure. Interesting, yeah. But I I didn't give it a, like I didn't like listen to it every day. I said, okay, I get it, you know. But it did, and it didn't come right away. You listen to the first demo, and it was still rocky. Yeah, right. It was when Ev, like we got in the studio with Evitz is when I really started to learn a little bit of control. And then the second record I learned a little bit more control because we figured out that when I have one earplug in, I can I can hear what I'm singing. Right. Um and then it just, you know, I'm still learning. It's just a it's it's just an instrument I'm still getting better at. Sure. Do you do I mean, do you actively do vocal stuff or it's just like a a matter of practice and repetition for you? No, it's, it's, well, the thing is, is I do it few and far between. Right. Which is like, there's a, there's a bit of a change of pace now because I'm working on a new, a new project that's a lot, it's, it's putting me back out there. I think, you know, it's, uh, it, it require, I don't know. We don't have to talk about it, but I'm working <laughs> on, I'm working on something that's, that's going to, Bring me out of out of the out of my shell a little bit. We can you know? talk about it, Jay. I didn't say it in the intro. Is it opera? Talk. Is that what it is? It's totally opera. up to you. <laughs> say it. Well, let's let let's backtrack a little bit. Okay. So, none more black. We do a record in 2010, and that was the last time we are the last show we played was for Nate's Nate Gluck's uh, benefit show, which All was right. 2015. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have I haven't played a show live since then. Right. And then I did this former member stuff. Um, and when I was recording the former member vocals, something happened. I hurt something. Like oh. I, felt, I felt like something in my stomach. And I was having terrible pains for months. And I had, like, I was like walking down the hall at work and I'd just be doubled over. I had x-rays, ultrasounds, CT scans. Finally, I, I get a, a, a scope down my throat and they find out that I had uh, hiatal hernia. Hmm. Like you can kind of hear the quality of my voice now from talking has changed since the beginning of this interview hmm. because I have really bad acid reflux and my voice just gets, my, my vocal cords just get torn up. Wow. So what, what, what hiatal hernia is, is your esophagus doesn't close, which allows stomach acid to shoot up through, Ooh. through the hole. Shit. And also your stomach pops up Yikes. through it. So that's what I think was causing all that pain. Is that cause from singing all these years? I I, th- I think I I think I did it when I hit like a note a really loud scream on that record. Wow! That I know I did. I I remember hitting it and going, "Ow, something's not right." Um, I mean, Jay, you gave yourself a hernia. That's pretty fucking punk that, rock. That it is. I should have <laughs> I should have named the record hernia. Um, but then I just kind of made took a long break without singing. I made some changes to to diet and I started like practicing yoga, mm. which is, which is, you know, obviously stretching is good for any part of your body. Sure. And I think it, it did a lot for my, for my, my singing too, because when the time came to do this next record, my control, like I, I'm, I'm approaching it much, much different. I'm not as loud. I have much more control. Mm. I'm able to do things that I wasn't able to do even on the first record. Mm. Um, but now that I'm, 
I'm working on a new project. I'm actually singing more at home. I'm demoing more. We're actually, uh, should we just say it? You, might as you, can, well. you can cut it out. <laughs> we're in a band together, Ben. Yeah, you know we're that? in a band together right now. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so these exactly. new songs, <laughs> yeah, I, I am, I'm, Helping Jay complete this beautiful album we're making, but it's true. a it's a legit band. It's not yeah. it's not just me writing stuff and then recording it and with no plans to do anything with it. It's it's actually four people coming together in a space, playing together, and I haven't done that since Nate's show. So crazy, and it's and it's awesome, and it feels good, and you know I'm working out my throat in all new ways now. So it's good to have that kind of routine back, you know. Yeah. Well, it's nice to hear you sing. It's so cool that I like the fact that I was the first proper drummer who sat in front of you to do this kind of thing in, what, seven years or something. Yeah. That's cool. Been a long time. I feel honored. But even like even this time around, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm purposefully approaching singing a little bit different for this band because it's, 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 in in a lot of ways, it's very similar to my style, but in a, in a lot of other ways, it's not. So I, I'm right. I want to maintain a, a quality vocal performance, you know. And if I if I'm not mistaken, like um, you know, I remember you had said in old interviews and stuff that you you don't like writing fiction because it feels fake, right? And I know, like now, you're you're kind of. Uh, attempting like a different a different style of songwriting and storytelling like how did how did that shift going into well going into this? this for this band in particular that is going to be my approach um mm-hmm. but also interweaving fiction with with myself you know because i i want to be able to like live through vicariously through this these fictitious moments mm-hmm. um but it's mainly because I just wrote this record that was really challenging for me vocally, like lyrically. Like what what else I write about my life? Like not much happens in my life anymore. You <laughs> right. know? I'm, right. I'm I'm at a certain age. I, I do the same thing every day. Yeah. Um I'm not a political musician. Um I'm not gonna write about being a kid and skateboarding. Like I I don't wanna I don't want to oversaturate or or extend these lyrics more than they have to be. So mm. I want to do something a little bit more fun, um, more accessible, and less miserable. I think. Oh. with this mm. new band. Like what when you're when you're writing songs, do you ever, you know, think of the listener? Is the listener in mind no. when you're doing it? Is there like a way you want people to walk away from your music? No, not really. No. So it's all, it, it all seems like it's all been a very personal thing over the years, like kind of coming to terms with different parts of your life and yourself and the things you have to see. Yeah. And like when you're, like you said, when you're in a adult job kid grind, which is a grind, you know, like where do you have to put your brain to get to these places? Like, like, is there a way to, you know, escape that you can get to a different place or it just has to be much more of like, I'm sitting down, I finally have some time, Yeah, let's get something down on paper. You, you know when it used, it, it used to happen during my commutes, oh. which, you know, are, are gone, you know? Right. Um, 
It happens like when I'm exercising, if I go for a run or, you know, if I read, if I'm reading and I, I come across something interesting, um, like it's just, I'll, I'll leave a little note, right? I'll, I have a little notebook. I, I just jot something down and then I won't revisit it till the time is right. Mm. I was asking like specifically like, you know, how you're finding the process of songwriting now and like if you have like a method of taking yourself out of the grind when you're home to to do it. No. This this time around, like I had I had themes I knew I wanted to write about. And and I was a lot of times I was just writing on the fly. I was like, okay, this is where I'm going. I'm gonna tackle this song this week. I'm gonna spend this week listening to the demos and just listening to the gibberish vocals that I have <laughs> and backing in lyrics. And if I have to alter things, I'll alter things. Um and then on to the next, you know. Mm. And then sometimes I have I I I will record and I'll, I'll have a, a verse that's just missing. I, I can't get there yet. So it could be months before I revisit that verse because I'm just not there. It's not coming to me. I used to call that the uh, third verse curse. I used to always be able to write <laughs> so, two verses and never get to the So third. that's the trick. Only write two verses. That yeah. is the trick. <laughs> it is. And there, Don't there, bore us. Get to the chorus. There, there are... I mean, there are moments on, like where I'm like, "Fuck, why did I write so many parts?" Like, ah, <laughs> yeah, that's the trick. Sure. Sometimes you just gotta let those hard to reach verses it, go, it, right? And honestly, it, it makes me respect like hip hop MCs so much more. Oh my god, because they have to write so many words, yeah. so many words. And what about Bruce True. Springsteen? For Christ's sake! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is true. Like you listen to like, I never even thought about it in like sheer volume. <laughs> but you listen to like a most deaf album. How do they remember like it? Six times the lyrics of like a rock yeah. album. Yeah, <laughs> right. There's a lot of words. Yeah, I never even thought of that. It's interesting. And the good and the good ones are just like, you know, mind blowing. How they connect things and the stories they tell. It's it's. I'm glad I'm not in. I'm glad I'm not a rapper. I guess. You, you never gave that a shot? No. You think you could spit hot fire? Well, I was on that POS record. <laughs> wait, wait, what's the POS record? I, you know the, the rapper POS? I don't. Oh. Um, he was on um, Epitaph's Rhyme Series from Minneapolis. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah, back in like 2010, he sent me a track and asked me to do a guest on it. Uh-huh. So I'm on his record, Never Better. I, I'm screaming on it, but I'm not. Oh, I'm not was, I was like, holy shit. You spit a verse and that's in existence? I got to get this. I mean, I did spit a verse, but it's, yeah, just, that. it's just me, you know? What would I have and, to do to convince you to write one bar of hip hop in this new band? It's possible. I mean, I'm not that. I, I, my, influ, my, my vocal influences, I, I think, come very heavily from, from hip hop. I mean, I saw and you have a Nas record on your top 10 this year. Like, like, this sounds silly, but I mean, phrasing, I mean, that's the best, like good hip hop is good phrasing, you know? Yes. And I think like the bands that I, that I grew up listening to, you know, when I first started getting into a, like loud and aggressive music, look at like biohazard was hip hop ish, you know? Yeah. Like, sure. Lou Kohler had a, had a, a groove to his, 
yep. to his voice. Definitely. And it's, I, I mean, I could do it, but it would just sound like me not singing in melody. I don't know. It would sound <laughs> stupid, I think. <laughs> it, I, I think it might be a strange fit. Um, yeah. I'll do it, but I'll only let you hear it. Or you can write it for me. I'll spit it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I got a little segment here I call Mystery Friend, where I get a funny story of something that happened to you. You have to tell me the story and then guess who told me. Okay. So I heard about, so I'll say it verbatim. Something you can ask Jason about is when CPM used to do these dances at one part of one of the songs. We called it the shaman dance. There was also one time when I think he went too hard during the dance and puked on stage at the Unitarian church. Was it Paul or, or Richard? Neither. Really? Yeah, I went a different drummer. Jared? Yeah, Jared. Ah, uh, that's right, because that Jared was was part of the shaman tour. Yeah, that was the Jared era, pre-Richard. Yeah. Um, and that was that was like I thought that was one of the that was it was one of those things that started out as a joke. Yeah. But ended up being a very cathartic, awesome moment in our sets. So tell like, me about it. What was the shaman dance? So we we were playing with the loved ones in somewhere in like PA. And um we were doing an interview and it wasn't a particularly good one. And when we get, when we start joking around, like Colin just said that he, he, like he was studying to be a shaman. <laughs> and so we're leave. then we're leaving for, this is when this is satire was out. We're leaving for like seven weeks to go. We're, we're, we're meeting with um, the mad caddies. We're doing like, uh, the Bible Belt and going across the country, ending in California, then meeting up with a band called Fifth Hour Hero, mm -hmm. and then going up the coast, meeting up with uh, St. Catharines, going across Canada, doing parts of the States. It was a really long tour. And Colin has this weird looking, like, um, odd couple suitcase, you know, like the Felix Unger, like, suitcase <laughs> he, he okay. brought. We're like, what is that, a pedal board? And he's like, you'll see. Oh, and we're like, what is going on? Yeah. So our first show, I think, was in Lancaster, and uh, he puts it on stage before we go on. And Paul and I look, and we see feathers sticking out. Of it. <laughs> and we had this. The last song we played in in the set every night was a song called "Drop the Pop," and we extended the ending to be just this like really loud and kind of dynamic ending to the set. Uh huh. And when we started doing that, Colin opened up the suitcase and pulled out this like five foot long string of colored feathers and all this like spiritual stuff like beads and and whatnot. And he starts swinging it around and dancing and throwing water all over the place. <laughs> yes. And it was really hysterical the first time. Yeah. But then when when you're doing it every night, it just became something... Huh. It just became something really big. Huh. And uh I'm sure there's video on YouTube like it if you could find this the um uh, uh what the hell was that record again? <laughs> this is satire era tour. Right. Yeah. Like it might be something on on Vimeo with it. Okay. So 
so what exactly like so during the shop what happened at this uh the philly show where you puked on stage colin always puked on stage oh it wasn't you it was colin i don't think i puked on stage oh okay so I puked just, on stage once in Kid Dynamite, but it, if 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 any of us puked, it was because it was hot, you know. Oh, that that place is fucking hot. As yeah, well. and and I remember, you know, we, when we came back in two thousand, late two thousand nine, two thousand ten, our reunion show was at a, a small little clothing store in Philly. That was like on Fridays they would turn it into a gallery, and we packed a bunch of people in there. It was in July, and Colin just walked out at the end and just vomited all over the street. <laughs> just because wow. you know when shit gets that hot, yeah, it's tough to hold it in drinking all that water. I've been there. Uh, the shaman dance, I I like this. Yeah, you, you know what? If I if I find it, I'll send you a link. Did you? Were you like when you say it became a thing and you start doing it? Like, you know, did you find yourself like being able to step to some like weird level? Like, were you? Like, it wasn't. It, it was Colin. Yeah. Me and Paul were just doing our thing, but just getting this energy from from what Colin was. And the funny thing is, the first day of that tour, yeah, Colin like sprained his sprained his ankle. Oh, really? Doing doing like these chair jumps. We were messing around backstage, uh-huh. and he twisted his he twisted his ankle and ended up in a boot the entire tour. Whoa, he would only so- take it off. He would only take it off to play live, and uh-huh. it did not deter him one bit. Like. And you know, you know how it is when you're on tour that long, when you get, you, your band really starts to get tight, you know, you, yeah, you start sure. to really like, just, you don't have to look at each other. It's just there. Yeah. yeah and that's really just how that, that well. tour ended. Yeah. Wow. The shaman dance. I'm really yeah. impressed. It was by cool. This. It's kind of inspiring me too. Cause I don't know. I like, I like things like that on stage, especially as I get older, you know, you got to find that, that middle place, like that movie yeah. soul. Maybe and the, you got to know, yeah, you got to know when to let it go too. Like that was it right. after that tour done. Uh, just the shaman got packed away. The shaman got packed away. Yeah, right. Yeah. You can't make the shaman thing too regular or else. I wonder weird. if he, I wonder if he buried them. I'll have to talk to him. You'll have to call I hope him. So. Have to talk to him. I hope so. Just to honor it correctly. Well, that's fucking funny. I love that. Um, I was wondering, you know, like since you've kind of had to navigate this, you know, corporate world for work for quite a while, but, you know, came out of punk and hardcore. And I know, you know, take a lot of those ethics like pretty seriously. Um, like, do you ever have the ability to sort of interject that value into the world you're in? Or do you just try to have to stay out of it as much as you can in that regard? Well, I, I will say this, the, the, Companies that I work for are very smart about advertising. You know, mm. I'm not, I mean, I'm not doing like, I'm not doing commercials like for clothing and for, you know, pop culture things. Like I, I do, I do, I work, I do stuff for IBM. I do stuff for UPS. I do stuff for, you know, lots of companies that are, are aware you know, of what's mm-hmm. going on in the world and are, mm-hmm. and are approaching things, um, w- with, with a, with that kind of outlook, you know? Mm. So I've never, ha- I've never had to, to say, I don't want to work on this. Like, I don't okay. feel right working on this. Um, do you have that option if it came up? Oh yeah. I think, yeah. I think I've earned that right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think anybody would, I think, cause I don't think they could 
What are they going to say? I mean, I'm, I'm staff. A freelancer might still might say, oh, well, we, we won't call him for this client anymore. Right, you know? right. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been, I've never had to, I've never been in that situation. Hmm. So a punk guy, and I've always just wondered where it's like, being punk rock, and I, I've never gotten to really experience corporate America, and I always wondered if I would be able to survive in it or not. You know, well, I got, I got, I got into my first advertise. Well, out of out of school, I started working at this small little like place and right outside of Philly that my one of my classmates was working at, and we they hired me, and I was working freelance and. I was making no money, but we were making all those cheesy like car commercials that you see, no credit, forget it, you know? Right. And, and, you know, when you do that kind of stuff, you're just churning them out and it's just a big joke, you know? Yeah. And we look back on it. We're like, you know, we once did a, a, a hair care, like a, a hair regrowing commercial, like uh-huh. a whole infomercial. Yeah. And we went and we filmed all these people like giving testimonials uh-huh. and the owner's like, we're like, where do you, are these all clients? He goes, no, I put an ad in the paper. They're just regular people. They just came for lunch. Right. And none of them had this procedure, oh, but it's no. a, we were like in our, you know, early twenties was a big joke, you know? Yeah. But then, um, the, so the you're way- telling me these guys who rub, <laughs> rub their fingers through their hair and these ads being like, ah, it's all fake. And, and then a lady comes up and they're <laughs> like, Ooh, I love your hair now. All bullshit. Yep. Oh, I'll never be the same. Well, I don't know about now. Technology has advanced. <laughs> it's true. But um, but then I was like, okay, I'm going to, I was thinking of moving to New York and I was talking to Ernie Parada. Uh-huh. You know, Ernie, right? I do. I do. The legend. Legend. He said, come work for me. I, I'm working at an agency. I'm, oh, really? I'm, I'm the digital manager. I'll get you a job. No shit. So I moved to New York. I started working freelance, uh, yeah. for the agency doing, um, he worked in the, the, he headed up the digital department, which was like a lot of flash development and web development. Uh-huh. But at that point, video was starting to become really hot and integrated into websites and banners. And they needed somebody with video editing and After Effects skills. So that's how I got my my in at a much bigger company. Wow. So Ernie Parada, one of the the godfathers of New York punk. Yep. Uh, is the big one. ad he, big, big ad man big ad man <laughs> yeah, I didn't know I didn't know he was a madman have you had him on the show no we never ah, interviewed Ernie it. we should that'd be a good yeah. one yeah I, I think the most Ernie we had is the the Dave Haas impression of Ernie <laughs> which is good it's a, it's a good one it's it strong one. yeah it's strong Walters is pretty good too I don't yeah. know if you've ever heard Walters yeah I know I gotta catch that one yeah he's got a lot um that's great man so, not that I'm I'm not I'm not like buds with Walter. I've just heard his impression of Ernie. He's the king of impressions. Yeah. I could have Dave on as just a color man like every week, you know, just to, just to pepper in impressions. So do you know the thing besides for being in a band together and being in many bands together over the years, do you know the very unique thing that you and Nick have in common? Unique? 311? Yeah, very, very specific. You are literally the only two people maybe on earth who have these things. Have these things. God, what could this be? This is a great game. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I'm stumped. You are the only two people who have Jameel Asim tattoos. <laughs> That is true. Are you sure? 
<laughs> I don't know if you're the only have you, two. But have you confirmed this with Jamil? Yeah. Yeah, this is this is corroborated by Jamil. <laughs> yeah, I just spoke to him. <laughs> he Nick does has have the better of the two because mine is not finished. Oh, it's not, wait. It's on, what it's, is yours? It's on my back. It was like I was like Jamil. I want these these two characters holding hands, like floating away from each other, but I want them to be like unidentifiable, like. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but he drew a real, like he probably drew it in two seconds. He was that talented. Like, here you go. Go put this on your back. There you go. Get that. (laughs) (laughs) So he wrote, I I talked to him. He's like, bit of dumb trivia. What's one thing beyond bound that Jay and Nick both have in common? Drum roll. They both have terrible tattoos by me. (laughs) At least Nick, Nick has, has shading. Didn't he get the standpoint tattoo? Yeah, mine's original. Mine's an original Jimmyle. Yeah. You're not finding mine on a record cover. Yeah, not on one of the Spirit Fall records. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love that shit, man. That's so <laughs> funny. Um, does your son know you're a band dude? Yeah. He does. Because he hears me he hears me playing guitar all the time. But has never actually seen you play live yet. Uh no. Is that something that you're looking forward to? He's looking forward to? Uh, you talked about it? I'd be nice. I mean, yeah. I don't It'll know. Happen. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to think. I don't know if he's going to have the attention spam. <laughs> it's true. He might have the, to stream it on YouTube. Yeah. If you want, yeah. How old's your son? Six? He, he turned seven today, actually. Aw, happy oh, birthday. Happy birthday. I will, so yeah, I will you might have to message. make like, uh, yeah, you might have to somehow compact like a whole record into like a 30 second TikTok, and Ugh. then you might get them you might get them to watch there was there was a um a song on the new form remember when i was first writing them where i was it was it was in a different shape before it was like much slower and groovier and i was like hey wyatt do you prefer this or a, a much more upbeat and he's like i think he was five at the time he's like well the slower one's really pretty, but I think I like the upbeat one. <laughs> and that's the one I went with. So yeah. he's, he's a collaborator. I love that. I love that. Who knows what's coming in the future? Yeah, he's a producer. producer. You, got a, you got an in-house producer now. I know. Um, all right, Jay, I'm going to let you go soon because we've been on for a while. Here's the last question for you. You're a bit... It, it's funny. I I hadn't realized even until I started doing research on you that there's a common perception here. You're, you're kind of the mystery man of punk. I don't know if you realize this. And people sort of view you in a mythical fashion. And I would like to know what's something you would like people to know about you that may not know. I don't want them to know anything about me. That's, that's why I'm <laughs> That's why you're mysterious. <laughs> hey, listen, as a journalist, Jay, I got to ask. <laughs> It's like, like one thing, like, you know, that's, I don't know if we've had this conversation, but like, I just stopped caring about wanting to be the, the brand, you know, of a, of musician. I I wouldn't even really call myself a musician. I, I just, I know what I like to do and I, and that's all I like to do. I don't care about playing big shows anymore. I don't care about you know, I'm happy. I, this interview has been great. I haven't done an interview in a long time. I'm happy to do these ty- types of interview interviews, but I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't want to chase them down. I don't want to be in magazines. I don't want any of that, you know, sure. because I feel like what's the point? 
the, my favorite bands when I was a kid were mysteries. Yeah, you know? that's true. You, you did, you, you, you'd pick up a magazine, see a couple pictures of them and you didn't know anything about them. And that's, that's awesome. Do you think that, that like having a career outside of music is a good way to be able to kind of harness that? Cause I remember Milo from descendants had sort of a similar feel to it. And I felt like some of the pressure was off of him because like, music wasn't necessarily for his life or for money. Like, right. Do you think you've been able to maybe separate the two because you haven't had that kind of pressure? That's definitely true. And that's, and that's probably why it takes so long for me to put out records <laughs> because I could take that time. I don't, I don't right. have to stay relevant. In fact, I would much prefer to be irrelevant and just stay <laughs> on the, just stay on the margins. And if you want to come listen, come listen, you know, I love that this stuff is there. Because that's all I want to do is just put stuff out in the world, you know? Right. So who would have known the trick to being autonomous in the music industry is to go get yourself a job before you start? <laughs> well, that's the th that, was, that was the one thing that I, I did right, I think. You know, it's very easy for me to just say, I'm just going to do this. But I, I think I always held bands back because besides quitting Kid Dynamite, that was like the ultimate setback for them. Right. Um, but even none more black, I think I definitely held the band back because like the day, and even C Colin's the same way. Colin goes right to work the day, day we're back from tour, you right. know? And it's like, so did I, I, I was been lucky enough to work at places that had an open door policy where I could just come back. Yeah. And I, and in my field, I have to stay up to date on a lot of pieces of software and I just got lucky that I was able to have that time to keep my foot in the door and stay sharp. That's awesome. Whereas that I, now, I can, now I can seesaw the two. Yeah. Yeah, you're in a, a, a great, an enviable position for, yeah. for a lot of people. It's a good place to be. Well, Jay, I've known you a long time. I'm glad to, to be in a band with you now, hear your music. I'm happy you're doing well. Happy the family's doing well. Give a high five to Laura for me. Will do. All the same. Thank you for having me. Yeah. This was Brad, fun. it was a pleasure meeting you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming. And uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks at practice. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, yeah. Thanks to Jay. Yeah. Legend, New Jersey legend, man of mystery. (laughs) No more. No more a mystery. Yeah, now we've exposed him. <laughs> but all this new music is great. He's great. You're great, Brad. You're great, Benny. I can't believe you played all these cool shows with the Offspring back in the 90s. Wasn't that many shows. So since the intro, I mean, <laughs> we we've can been go down digging memory. into old City Gardens dates and have realized a couple things. <laughs> a, I think that show I'm talking about might have been Rancid in the Offspring at City Gardens in 95. Chronologically, that makes sense. But I'm still not sure. Or 94. And, and also... You mean 94, fall of 94, right? I didn't know that Brad was jumping around in 1995 playing Offspring tours. You know, it's <laughs> such a... What's your... I heard a crazy story about Dexter Holland, but it was like way after he was famous and stuff. Like, do you remember anything specifically funny or wacky about old offspring tours? Did you know they were going to be big? No. So I, no, I didn't meet those guys until they were, had already kind of blown up and that first record had dropped. Mm. And I didn't tour with them. I played, I played a bunch of one-offs with them, but the first one, so I was just saying that like in 94, the fall of 94, we did a tour with Rancid. We went out west. Then we came back across the country with Guttermouth. And like mm-hmm. when we were in like New Mexico or somewhere, Jamie, the drummer in Guttermouth was like, oh, yeah, we just played here a couple months ago with Offspring. I'm like, oh, you were you were opening for Offspring? He's like, no, they were opening for us. He's like, yeah. nobody knew who they were two months ago. Yeah, it's crazy. And if you look at this, chronology on their website something obviously happened from mid 94 to early 95 that changed these venue sizes massive radio hits yeah well so like back in those days you're snotty punk rock brad in the (laughs) mid 90s like are you were you like whatever offspring should have been us or are you like cool about it well, we were part of that team, man. We were like, we thought that's where we were going because we were right. Stormy. Their booking agent was our booking agent, Stormy Shepherd, the coolest person in the music business ever. Like, she was so punk rock. I mean, she's a Mormon, but she was so punk rock. <laughs> she was the most, like, she had the offspring. She had some other big bands like, you know, Rancid. And I think maybe she had no use and... She she booked a couple of the bigger those big the big punk rock bands and she was oh and her routing dude her routing was amazing like if you ever had to drive more than like six or eight hours you would have a day off to do oh legend she her routing was crazy if I showed you the routing you'd be so jealous like (laughs) and she had this power like if if you ever had the tiniest problem getting paid anything you just call Stormy and she get on the phone with the promoter and be like. If you she ever want juice, to see man. Offspring ever again, you like hook up my band. She definitely had juice in those days oh, for sure. We got treated so like kings. Like it was amazing. 
I wonder if Stormy doesn't like me, and I'll tell you why. Because she was, I mean, I there's no way she remembers this, but she was like the first person in like the punk scene that I knew. I'm sure she wasn't the first who did it, but the first I dealt with who sent contracts out. Oh, really? Yeah. And I mean, it was probably happening with a lot of booking agents and maybe I was just getting to the point that I was dealing with booking agents, you know, rather than like the people just in the band. But I remember she sent me a contract once. And since I was like 15 or 16 and, you know, just pretty much reading Heart Attack magazine and hated anything that was even remotely, you know, like this is, these are the days I had moral scruples for like six months raising the the price of my shows from six dollars to from five to six right <laughs> you know like because i was like i can't break the fugazi code and <laughs> i remember the first time she sent it me little dick i just crossed out the pages in big sharpie <laughs> like just x'd them out and then like wrote the money <laughs> and like what i would give him for like drinking food at the end and then just signed it like but not even signed it just wrote like ben in like capital <laughs> letters you know fucking asshole and sent it back you know uh, i mean in reality i wasn't old enough to make it binding anyway right um <laughs> So, you know, I guess if I played ball or not, I still wouldn't have been legally liable. I wonder if she remembers that. Or if I was the only person who did that. There must have been other dick punk rock promoters, right? We should get her on the show and ask her. I would like to talk to people like that. Stormy Shepard. She is a legend. She won't talk any shit, though. She's too nice. we know about this now. You can't get shit talking out of the industry. Well, they and never she's know. She's just such a fucking sweetheart. She won't. She won't talk shit about people in private. You know, right? It's like the reason you can't hire ex athletes to be analysts. You know, they don't want to talk shit about their friends, oh, right? <laughs> or ex coaches because they're like, I might have to fucking coach this guy in two years. I'm right. not going to bash him. You know? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get out of here. Thanks you know where to, to find us. Goingofftrack.com. Um, if you want to be a patron, patreon.com slash goingofftrack. Uh, if you want to keep up with us, we're at goingofftrack, wherever you want to find us. And uh, you can check in with Jason at ScreamChuck66 on Instagram. Check out his uh, new former member album. Super good. Super good. Yeah, definitely. And remember, if you're going to leave a review... The world is a a dry, <laughs> arid, cool place filled with bad vibes sometimes. And I appreciate our reviews to be the opposite, Lube which is moist, <laughs> wet, sultry, loving, and slightly sexual in nature. <laughs> I think it's fun. I go through the reviews on our iTunes and I see these hilarious, sexually suggestive comments that I know creep Brad out. And this is one of the reasons I keep doing it, even though he sleeps in silk shorts every night and is much more provocative than I am. Uh, so if you are going to leave a review, please, please indulge me. All right. See you next week. Bye, Brad. Yeah!